Hey, so the, the message I have for you tonight is called, don't go there, okay? Don't go there. Tap somebody and tell them, don't go there, okay? That if you're sitting by your spouse, that may not be the first time you've ever heard those words come out of their mouth. Don't go there. Have you ever been, have you ever been watching a movie and you, you find yourself telling the TV screen to the character that you think they can hear you you know that where they're about to go is nowhere good. And you find yourself telling them, willing them through the screen saying, don't do it, don't go there. Have you ever found yourself doing that? You get wrapped up in the story, okay? Well, that's because that's what good storytellers do. Good storytellers involve different elements of storytelling. They involve characters and plot and theme and conflict. Another thing that storytellers do is they provide a setting. They provide a setting. Much like if if you were to listen to a story for the first time and it opens up like this. Once upon a time in a courtroom, okay? You kind of, that setting gives you a feel for what's about to happen. And the great stories of old all start out with some sort of setting like in a galaxy far, far away or in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. So they, they provide setting because setting helps tell the story. And the biblical authors do the same thing. They do the same thing with settings that act as a warning, telling you when you see this place show up, nothing good is about to happen, okay? Much like when you watch a story on, as, a, as a movie or whatever, and it's, you know, the, the creaky cabin out in the woods in the dark, you know that don't go there. Don't go there. Because, you know, they hear a noise and they go investigate it. And of course, they don't turn the lights on because why would you do that? Because that would make sense. They don't call the police. It doesn't make sense. Um, Or another Star Wars reference, you, you just don't go to Alderaan. You don't go to Alderaan. So if you're a Star Wars fan, there you go for that. Um, but that's what storytellers do is they use setting to help tell the story. And when we look at our lives, the same thing is there. That there are certain, if you were to look back on your life, there are certain settings in your life that would be don't go there kind of settings whether it's certain people, certain places, or certain things, that when you're in that setting, things don't go well. Well, we're not alone in that. The same thing happens in Scripture. There are these different settings, and some of them are, are good and call back to, to a, a good meaning, like the garden. Others, not so good, like Egypt. And that's going to be the setting that we're going to hone in on tonight is is Egypt. So the most memorable story of Egypt is most likely when God delivers the Israelites out of slavery and parts the Red Sea and brings them out. And that may be the most memorable story of Egypt, but in order for us to get a handle on how the biblical authors are using this setting, we need to go to the first time scripture mentions Egypt, which is in Genesis chapter 12. So you can turn 
in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. If you'd like, hey, by the way, I forgot to do this at the beginning. I want to give a shout out to some guests we have in the building. So we have Karis Bible College students here with us tonight. They're here on a mission trip and serving our cities. And for that, we say thank you. We love you guys and we bless you. Uh, Yeah. Hey, absolutely. You're welcome. Anytime. I think they got to work with Tina earlier today. Tina, where you at? I saw you earlier. Okay, wherever you are, Tina, we love you too. And so anyway, so in Genesis chapter 12, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at how the first four generations of God's covenant people all have these, these two common things in their story, and that is famine and Egypt. So the first four generations of God's covenant people in their story, at some point you run across famine and Egypt. And so the first time we see someone going to Egypt is Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 12, it starts out with God calling Abraham to make a journey by faith to a land that he was going to give him. And in Genesis chapter 12, God blesses Abraham and he tells him that he's going to make a great nation out of him and that he's going to give him this great big family and he's going to give him this land. So the Lord leads him to this land and he says that this is the land that I'm going to give to your offspring. And so he arrives at his, he's just been blessed by God and he arrives at his promised land And when he does, he arrives in a time of famine. And you you may be thinking to yourself, as I'm sure Abraham was, if God called me here and he led me here, why in the world does it look like this? Okay? Have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation? Where I thought the Lord had told me to step out in faith and so I obeyed and I did my part and I I obeyed I walked by faith and when I got to where I was supposed to be I look around and it's nothing like what I expected it to you know maybe maybe whenever you went to to Karis you get there in Colorado and you run into trouble after trouble after shortcoming, challenge over and over again. And at that point, you can start asking yourself, am I supposed to be here? Maybe for you, you started having children. And you're like, man, I read in the Bible about how children are supposed to be a blessing, but man, it sure doesn't feel like it right now. It doesn't look like it. Or maybe you moved to this area to take on a new job And you get here and you're like, man, this job is nothing like what I expected it to. I keep encountering challenge after challenge. And am I really supposed to be here? I mean, that's the position that Abraham's in. And I can can see in this scenario, this thought crossing his mind of, did God really say? Did God really say, pick up, leave everything and come here? And that's the choice that Abraham faces is am I going to trust God or am I going to take matters in my own hands? So what do you do in times of chaos? 
when you find yourself in a mess, either of your own making, or you find yourself in a mess because of something that's completely out of your control. Are you going to trust God, or are you going to take matters into your own hands? That's the choice that faces that Abraham faces. And the next verse after it saying that there was a famine is he goes down to Egypt. So Abraham chooses, I'm going to take matters in my own hands and I'm going to go find food for myself. I'm going to leave the land that God called me to and gave me and I'm going to go find food in Egypt. So he decides to go to Egypt and things go south from there. Uh, he ends up lying about who his wife is, saying that it's his sister, and she gets taken into Pharaoh's house, and things aren't going well. Things He is in a heap of trouble. And so what the Lord does is the Lord comes and delivers him. He's, the Lord sends plagues upon Egypt, and Pharaoh says, you know what? Uh, you need to take your wife and everything that I've given you because he, he gave him loads of wealth and you just need to leave. And so Abraham and Sarah, are, God delivers them despite their poor choices. God delivers them from Egypt and they walk away blessed because the Lord is faithful even in the famine. The Lord is faithful even in the famine. Even in our poor choices, the Lord remains faithful. Even whenever things are going on that are out of your control, the Lord is faithful. And so that's the, that's the first introduction that we get on Egypt. And so what the, the biblical authors are doing is every time we see Egypt throughout scripture, it's meant to call us back to this first story because they're painting the scene of what Egypt means. Egypt is the place where you go to seek provision and protection from someone other than God. That's what Egypt is. It's the place of trouble and oppression. And so we go from Abraham to Isaac. And Isaac is, he's like the, he's like the middle child of the fathers of the faith because the poor guy doesn't get a lot of attention. Okay, any middle children out there? Okay, a few. So Isaac, we don't hear a lot about his story. Uh, like his most well-known stories are his dad almost killing him and then him blessing Jacob instead of Esau. So th- those, are, those are his most well-known stories. And it's really about the other people. So although we don't know much about Isaac, still in Isaac's story, he runs across famine in Egypt. And so we're going to pick this up in Genesis chapter 26. So Genesis chapter 26, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Don't go down to Egypt. Say, someone, say to someone, don't go there. Don't go there, okay? The Lord said, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. 
For to you and your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 6, so Isaac settled in Gerar. So here we have Isaac in a time of famine, and it looks like he's going to be heading in that same trajectory as his father did, but the Lord comes to him and he says, don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down to Egypt, despite the fact that there's a famine going on. And most of us in this room have very little idea as to, we we have hardly any reference point for what a famine is. Depending on what parts of the world you've lived in or how long you have been on the earth, most of us don't have a real good handle on what famine really means. I mean, last year we experienced a shortage of toilet paper and you would have thought the world had ended. People were going crazy buying truckloads and truckloads of toilet paper. Meanwhile, everyone with a bidet is just, they're just fine. They're mocking us, taunting. If you don't know what a bidet is, I'm not going to explain it in full detail. I, don't go there. Amen. Amen. That was awesome. I'm not going to go there. Let's just say it's an alternative to toilet paper that involves water. So at this time, all of my friends who were on Team Bidet were, were harassing me and, and mocking me and looking down on me during this troubling season. And they were really rubbing my nose in. I'm sorry, I should have... I'll, I'll move on from the bidet. I need some healing. I had to work through offense with some of my friends. Um, no, I'm kidding. On a side note, Pastor Dwayne on his, on his channel on YouTube has like a 29-part series on dealing with offense. If you haven't been offended in church yet, you haven't been here very long, okay? There will come an opportunity for you to become offended. Maybe it's because the pastor talks about bidets. I don't know. But there will be an opportunity to become offended and I... Offense will eat your lunch. We need to know how to work through offense to be a healthy church, okay? If you're going around looking for a place that agrees with you on everything and will never offend you, you will be on a never-ending search, okay? You'll end up with yourself, and that's it. And that's not what community is supposed to look like. So moving on. Imagine, so we freaked out over just a shortage of toilet paper. Imagine going to the store and there being nothing on the shelves. And a like once a week, a little bit of food gets put out. Can you imagine? And some of you don't have to imagine hard. Some of you have seen this, but can you imagine the frenzy that that would create? It would be a time of, of chaos and lack. And you may say, well, that's why I do my homestead and my gardening. Well, in a, a famine, the crops aren't yielding, okay? So there is nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. And so in this, this setting where there is nowhere to go, where there's desolation everywhere, God tells Isaac, stay where you are 
and I will provide. Stay put in this land that I've given you and watch what happens in verse 12. Same chapter, verse 12. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. So in a year of famine, Isaac does something that is totally unreasonable. Like it doesn't make sense naturally to do what he did. But he, he too, like Abraham, he faced this choice of either I trust God or I take matters into my own hands. And Isaac chose to trust God. And look at what happened. Isaac trusted God and he stayed put. He said, this is where the Lord told me to be. And so I'm gonna be faithful here. And even though it doesn't make sense, I'm gonna continue to sow. I'm gonna put the seed in the ground. And even if the only thing that's watering it is the sweat off my brow and the tears from my eyes, I'm not going anywhere because I have no plan B. If God doesn't come through for me, I'm done. That's faith. That's what sowing is. It's more than just putting seed in the ground. It's an act of faith. It's an act of hope. So Isaac trusted in the Lord. And because of that, in a year of famine, he reaped a hundredfold. And so from Isaac, we go to Jacob. Jacob, in his old age, they had just experienced seven years of plenty and bounty, but in his old age, there came another famine that would be seven years long. And in the middle of this famine, he catches word that there's bread in Egypt. And so here we are yet again with someone else in the covenant family facing this choice of do I go to Egypt during a famine? So he looks at his, his sons and he sends 10 of them. He, he tells them like this. He said, what are you doing sitting around here looking at each other? If there's food in Egypt, go to Egypt and get us food. And so Jacob would later go with his sons and they would find provision in Egypt. But the, way, the only reason they found provision in Egypt is because little did he know, God all along was positioning one of his people in a place of influence. Joseph, Jacob's son, found himself in multiple hardships, things that were beyond his control. His brothers tried to kill him. They betrayed him. He was sold into to slavery. He was, uh, he was lied about. He was thrown in prison. All of these things happened, but yet in the midst of his famine, when things were happening outside of his control, Joseph continued to sow. He continued to be faithful because he too faced these choices of, do I trust God when I'm sitting here in this prison or this pit? Do I trust God or do I try to make things happen on my own? And because Joseph, because one person 
trusted God, an entire nation had provision. Imagine that. It just takes one person. God can, regardless of what it looks like, God can take one person and position them in a place of influence to make sure that his people, his covenant people, that he remains faithful to his people. So regardless of what it looks like, because see, here's the temptation. The temptation was to think that it was actually Egypt that provided. The temptation is to think that it was Pharaoh and his wisdom and that it was the nation of Egypt that brought the provision. And looking to that, that was the temptation. But what happened was it was actually God all along working in ways that no one else saw, making it so that his people, his covenant people, that he promised that he would bless and that he would make a great nation out of, that he would uphold his end of the agreement. God is faithful even in the famine in the situations you find yourself in that are beyond your control or the messes that you're in because you made them. God remains faithful. So what's, what's your Egypt? What's the, what's the place? Who's the person? What's the thing that you go to whenever you're under pressure? When the pressures of life start coming, where do you turn? Because in those times of chaos, when things are beyond our control, or in those times where we're in a mess that we made, we too face this choice. This choice of, am I going to trust God or am I going to try to take matters in my own hands? There's a, a really strong correlation between people with high, high levels of stress and addiction. Reason being is when you're constantly feeling that high level of stress, if you try to, make, if you try to figure it out on your own, what you end up doing is you end up self-medicating. And you turn to a drink, you turn to a drug, you turn to pornography, you turn to all of these different things to try to help you relieve this stress. So what do you turn to when the pressure's on? If, you know, it's easy to look at the people of Israel and think, how can you not see that every time you go to Egypt, things don't go well? But I think if, if our stories were written down, we could probably also easily identify these certain situations, these certain settings, these certain people, these certain places that when they show up in your story, uh, things don't go great. So are you aware of what those are? Do you know what those are? I was, 
just yesterday in the, the car with my kids and they were asking me to tell stories of my younger years. And I told them a, a few stories ranging from a time I was camping and my pants caught on fire to a time I was camping and I drove a truck into a pond. And as I was telling them these stories, every story started out with me and this one other person. And in telling those stories, I realized, you know what? There seems to be a common thread here that when I'm with this person and we're hanging out, typically I'm going to do something stupid. Don't worry, I've come a long way in the past eight months, okay? But there may, be, there may be even places for you where you know that when you're, you're in this particular environment, things don't go well. Maybe certain people, again, you know that when you're around this person, you tend to air everybody else's laundry. And when you're done, you're like, man, why did I do that again? Don't go there. Don't go there. Do you know what your Egypt is? And you may say, well, listen, I've been in Egypt for a long time. I've settled down, okay? And I don't know how to get out. Well, I've got good news. There, there's more than one Joseph in the Bible who has Egyptian dreams, So we talked about Joseph, the son of Isaac, but in Matthew chapter two, Joseph, the husband of Mary, after he visits, after the Magi come and they visit and they leave, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream and he tells him, you need to take your family and you need to flee to Egypt for protection. And you think, wait a minute. Egypt's the place that in the biblical story, it's always the place where trouble happens. It's, it's not the, it, it wasn't the borders, it wasn't the, the sand and the dirt and the hills of Egypt that made it what it was. It was the spirit behind Egypt that was in operation. And what's happened here is that the spirit that was acting behind Egypt has now found its way in Jerusalem. And that now King Herod is acting like Pharaoh. He's seeking to oppress through violent means. And so the angel of the Lord tells Joseph to take his wife and their baby and flee to Egypt. As King Herod goes on his killing spree and oppressing through violent means. And so they did. They fled to Egypt. And through that, this baby boy was saved. This boy's name was Jesus. And Jesus would grow up to step into the role of the Jewish Messiah, the one who would come to break the chains of injustice, who would come to set the captives free, the one who would lead people out of Egypt. So regardless of what your Egypt is, wherever you find yourself, Jesus is here. 
And Jesus is the one who can break those chains of oppression, can break those chains of addiction, and set you free to where you're whole, you're healed.